What up? And welcome to Pound the Rock. My name is Joe Wolfond. I think. I'm not so sure anymore. It's about 5.30 in the morning. I'm in the score studios. This is Pound the Rock, by the way. Did I say that you did. already? I said that. Okay. We're, we're in the score studios. I'm with Joseph Cacharo. I'm not even going to ask what's going on because we know what's going on. We've just emerged from a raucous Toronto night. Um, the Raptors are NBA champions. They defeated the Golden State Warriors 114 to 110 in game six of the NBA Finals, the final night at Oracle Arena. Uh, just another crazy game in this crazy series. And unfortunately, it comes with yet another devastating Warriors injury. Clay Thompson has a torn ACL. The Raptors are champs. I don't catch. Where do you want to start? To be honest, I blacked out right after you said the Toronto Raptors are NBA champions, so I didn't hear a word you said after that. So you want to start there? Let's start there. Okay. The Toronto Raptors are NBA champions. Correct. Kawhi Leonard, two-time finals MVP. Third most points, I believe, in a postseason ever. The only guys to, to score more in a postseason named Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Kyle Lowry, five-time All-Star, Olympic gold medalist, NBA champion, Springfield is called. <laughs> okay, wait. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. All right, hold up, hold up, hold up. But before we continue, yes, I think that Kyle Lowry has a Hall of Fame case. Can we stop putting gold medalist for American basketball players as like some sort of gold star that should help enshrine them in the Hall hold of up, Fame? Hold up, hold up, because here's my counter to that. Okay. Because I don't think the U.S. winning gold means as much, obviously, as Argentina or Spain winning it. Yes. However, the fact that they have the talent they do means if you are on one of those gold medal winning teams, you're a hell of a player. Like Kyle Lowry making the U.S. Olympic team is almost as impressive as another nation even win. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I do get what you're saying. I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty right now. Springfield is called it. I adore Kyle Mark Lowry. Gasol. <laughs> He also he made the the U.S. team in a year where I think like three quarters of the team pulled out because of Zika. Anyway, we don't have to get into this now. Um, Kyle Lowry had an incredible game. He was the best player on the floor. Well, Clay Thompson might have been until he got hurt. Um, there's so much to talk about, and I want to I want I want to give everything it's sort of just right. due. Why don't Why don't we start with Kyle? Okay, because. He comes off of a game five where I think for like 46 minutes, he played unbelievably well. Was maybe the best Raptor on the floor, quite honestly, until a, a really tough final three minutes in which he throws the ball away, misses a wide open three, and then gets blocked at the buzzer on a shot that you know wound up behind the backboard. And he's taken a lot of flack for it, and he comes out in game six, Scores the first 11 Raptors points of the game and has 15 points in the first quarter. He single-handedly outscored the Warriors for the first five minutes of this game. Finishes, I mean, he cooled off a little bit in the second half, but he finishes with 26 points, seven rebounds, 10 assists, three steals, and a plus 16 in 42 minutes. The crowning achievement of his career, and I think... You know, for whatever doubts he has faced to this point, for whatever slander he has had to put up with, any talk about him not being a playoff performer, not coming through when it matters, I mean, what more could you have asked for? A, a clinching game, and he did it all. Like, just an unbelievable performance, and 
wins his first championship and I think just so well deserved you know like the journey that he's taken to get to where he is now basically being a journeyman point guard before he came to the Raptors turning himself into a multiple-time all-star a one-time all-nba'er and probably should have been a two-time all-nba'er if he didn't get injured in that 2016-17 season but uh, he's just built himself up into like you said a guy who has a legitimate hall of fame case (laughs) u.s gold medal notwithstanding um just uh just a great story and i think they're there are so many great stories and, and guys that we can talk about on this Raptors team. I mean, Fred Van Vliet, undrafted. Pascal Siakam taken Fred 27th Van overall. Like, went from almost unplayable to the point where people were starting to make half-legitimate cases for getting Jeremy Lin minutes in the playoffs, okay? Fred Van Vliet went from that for like five weeks of the playoffs to being 5'11 Robert Ori for the last three weeks of the playoffs. This guy shot, I think it was 50. He got a finals MVP vote. From Hubie Brown. Thank you, Hubie. Yes. Senile, yes, but <laughs> great vote, Hubie. Not. Um, what was, I lost my trainer, though. What was oh, yeah. Fred Lee shot like 50-53-86 or something along those lines over the last nine games of the playoffs. It was like a reverse Monstars thing that happened when he had his second child. Uh, the Lowry thing, like we were, you know, you and I have never been on this train, but as you mentioned, a lot of playoff doubters were out there for Kyle. He averaged 17 17- Point seven points on 46-42-82 shooting over the conference finals and the finals. And was the best player on the floor, Clay notwithstanding, for the finals clincher. Um, Pascal Siakam. Two years ago was the G League finals MVP. We've said it a million times this year. Eight years ago, wasn't even playing basketball. Yeah, He was the Raptors' second best player for much of this season and for much of the postseason. Pascal Siakam and Kawhi Leonard combined... For the second most combination of points between teammates in postseason history. They tied a couple guys by the name of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Like, some of the numbers coming from this Raptors postseason run like are just mind-numbing. The run they put together over the last eight weeks... I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about it. We will find the words, because it's our job, and because we have a podcast to fill... But for real, like, it's almost indescribable the way things came together for this team, for its best players, for Nick Nurse, for Messiah Jr., for everybody. I mean, it, yeah, you, you look up and down this roster, and, and that includes Nick Nurse, whose own coaching journey has just been so winding and improbable. Um, but you look at a guy like Siakam, who, like you said, has only been playing basketball for seven years, was, you know, headed for the seminary, and... Uh, taken 27th overall and was thought of as a reach at 27. And Kawhi Leonard, who was taken outside of the lottery and who built himself from a 3 and D guy into a legitimate superstar who can do anything, create off the dribble, play make, shoot threes, and, and defend any position, basically. And coming into this year, there were still question marks about him because of what happened last year because he only played nine games because he had this mysterious injury and a lot of people were saying that he quit on his team and simply didn't want to suit up for them, which I think looks pretty ridiculous now. Uh, he comes back and has what I think is you know the crowning achievement of his career, frankly. Uh, obviously, he won finals MVP with the Spurs back in, uh, what was it, 2014? But he, his usage rating in that postseason was 19%. 
Uh, you know, and as much as he played a huge part in that by Ding up LeBron James and doing his part of the offensive end, it was not the same as what he's done for this Raptors team, not only in terms of what he did during this playoff run, but just what he did in terms of changing the entire sort of outlook, the entire feel, the entire aura and swagger of this team, the entire temperament. I mean, Nick Nurse and Kawhi- and, and Kyle Lowry and pretty much everybody on this team has talked throughout the season and especially throughout the playoffs about how the whole attitude of the team has flowed down from him. And they've taken their cues from Kawhi. They have gotten their sense of calm and their sense of confidence from him. I mean, that that in itself is just unbelievable what he's managed to do. And Marc Gasol, a guy who was basically an afterthought in a trade for his brother 11 years ago, wasn't even playing in the NBA at the time and, and becomes an icon in Memphis, basically spends his entire career there, waves his no-trade clause to come to Toronto, uh, and basically com- like takes a completely different role with this team, right? Like, I mean, he was a secondary scoring option in Memphis, and with the Raptors, he's what, like a fifth or sixth option there, basically? Uh, Sometimes by his own doing, but Absolutely, still. but uh, I mean, and Serge Ibaka, like, commits to coming off of the bench after starting for the first half of the season has some really low moments throughout this postseason run and proves absolutely vital vital in the last three games of this series. Serge Ibaka had some absolutely breathtaking bursts of basketball throughout the postseason, and they always came in the immediate aftermath of his most unplayable stretches. And it was just, it, it almost part of like the whole veteran team, like this is our time thing that I've been talking about all postseason where even a guy like Serge Ibaka it's almost like in those moments when he looked so bad he summoned something to be like no like I've been down this road too many times I'm not going out like this not again not this year and then he would respond to those stretches of honestly some of his worst stretches of the season with just these unbelievable bursts and it might have only been in three or four minute spurts but those spurts were very important at various points of the postseason, including in the finals. 100%. And Serge Ibaka has always been a sort of peak and valley type of player. And that was just personified throughout this playoff run. I mean, in that Philly series, he 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 might have had four or five games in that series where he looked completely out of his depth and unplayable. He was probably playing too many minutes alongside Joel Embiid, and he looked overmatched in that matchup. But he comes through with just a heroic Game 7 in that series. Against Milwaukee, I mean, that game six, the first half of that game, he was playing miserably, and he was huge in the second half. And so much of that turnaround was a result of his energy and his shot-making down the stretch. Game three against the Warriors. I mean, we look back on that as a game the Raptors won easily because, uh, you know, the Warriors were significantly undermanned, but Serge Ibaka, once again, playing just a miserable first half. And comes in with an unbelievable stretch in the third quarter that basically helps the Raptors pull away. And it does sort of seem like any time they needed him to be there and needed him to bring that burst of energy and needed him to hit shots or grab offensive rebounds, he was there to do it. And um, I don't know. I think, you know, like that sort of is just a microcosm of this team, I think, as a whole, is they had enough guys who were capable of doing that where... 
every night they would have a couple of those guys who would have off nights, right? I mean, you look at this game six and Marcus Gasol just didn't quite have it and Danny Green didn't quite have it, but who's there to step up? It's like Ibaka and it's Van Vliet. And, and I think throughout the playoff run, that was, that was kind of it, right? They had an airtight eight-man rotation where on any given night, outside of Kawhi and outside of Lowry, who I actually think was very steady and solid throughout, there was always somebody else who was stepping up and ready to pitch in. In, in terms of Kawhi, and I know it's still very early in his career if he stays healthy, and I don't want to get – I already did the whole Springfield is calling thing for Lowry. I don't want to get, like, too deep into, like, where these guys stand all the time. But the, the resume Kawhi Leonard – has already compiled is unbelievable. Just in the finals alone, only 11 players, uh, sorry, 12 now because of Leonard. He's the 12th player to win multiple finals MVPs. He joins Magic Johnson and Tim Duncan as the only guys to get two by the age of 27. And he joins LeBron James and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the only guys to win finals MVPs for two different teams. Like, he is on a stratosphere in a stratosphere with absolute legends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty good trade. And this is one of my big takeaways from this whole run, this whole season, this championship, is Kawhi Leonard, he's an enigmatic figure. We don't entirely know what his motivations are. He might want to take his two championships and his two finals MVPs and pack up and go to L.A. He might do that. He might be, you know, the first guy that we see basically walk away from a championship team and go off in search of something new. But first of all, I mean, you know, that that Raptors trade, and I've said this before, it did not require vindication. It was vindicated the moment it was made. But, you know, looking back now on this run, no matter what happens, the Raptors are going to be an enduring part of Kawhi Leonard's legacy. And, and Toronto will always be the place where, even if he didn't feel like he needed it, he found a sort of sense of vindication he after al- the way things fell out in San Antonio. He also Th- said tonight that it's the most fun he's ever had on the team. There you go. And, and this will be the place where he hit, you know, he hit that shot against Philadelphia. And he had that dunk over Giannis in the clinching game in the Eastern Conference Finals. And... He had that third quarter run in game four to basically bury the Warriors in the finals. I mean, fourth quarter run in game five that didn't, wasn't in a win, but it was still one for the ages. So just so many iconic moments. And um, like I said before, I mean, like this was the run, like the playoff run in which he kind of put his stamp on the league. And he did that as a Toronto Raptor. I mean, he, he helped guide them to their first ever championship. And whether or not he leaves, I mean, that lives forever. So, you know, again, not like it needed to be vindicated, but just like, can you imagine a trade possibly working out better than this one did? Like, unbelievable. Even though everyone knew that Kawhi Leonard was a better player than DeMar DeRozan, it's very hard to trade a player as good as DeMar DeRozan and come away as good as the Raptors did. You know what I mean? Like, even when you trade that guy for a better player, the margins between good players aren't supposed to be that big. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it's a disservice to DeMar DeRozan to just say, like, the margin was that big because Kawhi Leonard is that damn good. And I do think a lot of people maybe forgot or had suppressed the memories of how good Kawhi Leonard was, of LeBron James being visibly 
frustrated by Kawhi Leonard checking back into the into a finals game. Kawhi Leonard is is just a beast, man. And yeah, we you know we don't know where he's gonna be next year. I think he's a very peculiar guy. And I the title you know if he if he wanted to be elsewhere, I don't think the title is gonna change that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it matters at this point. Obviously, it matters for the future of the league and the future of the Raptors. But in this moment, it really doesn't matter. There's the old saying, flags fly forever. Banners fly forever. You play to win the game, to quote Herm Edwards, famous football legend, right? And you not only play to win the game, you literally play to win championships in pro sports. Everything that you do, yes, you want to run a successful business, you want to become a perennial playoff team, sustain success, blah, blah, blah. But it's all to put yourself in a position to even just get one championship, especially in the NBA of all leagues, because... It is the most superstar-driven league. It is a league of dynasties and great players. And these opportunities, legitimate opportunities for a championship, do not come around often. They might be once in a generation. They might be once in a lifetime. The Raptors got one because of Kawhi Leonard. And a, few, a lot of other guys too, but mainly because of Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> so whatever he does on July 1st, Canada is indebted to him. The Raptors as an organization are indebted to him. And while there will be a lot of broken hearts that he won't be plying his trade north of the border. If he does take his talents elsewhere, he gave this city, this country, this franchise, this fan base, the one thing any sports organization craves. One championship. That's all you want. And I think I want to be able to say this without doing any disservice or disrespecting DeMar DeRozan, who I think, you know, we both as a human being and as a basketball player and as a professional, we both have the utmost respect for. But... In the wake of that trade, there was a lot of talk about how the organization had kind of done DeMar dirty and how it was going to take a while for them to be able to rehabilitate their image. I mean, like Anthony Morrow, who, I mean, maybe we don't need to care what Anthony Morrow has to say, but he came out and was like, no free agent is going to want to sign in Toronto after seeing how they treat their players. And I'm not saying that that situation could not have been handled more delicately than it was, but... I think the big takeaway from this season and from that trade and just how this all worked out is going to be how well Toronto treats his players and like how well that medical staff managed Kawhi and his hamstring, how, they, how receptive they were to like his feedback, how collaborative it was how they had a plan from day one about how they were going to bring him along and have him in the best possible shape he could possibly be in for the playoffs. And, and the fact that they were willing to take that chance on him in the first place and that they knew exactly what they wanted to do. They had a vision. And I feel like if I was a player, you know, who was concerned about my long-term health and how it was going to hold up, you know, over the course of a long season and what I wanted my legacy to look like, I feel like that's a pretty good indication right there. You know, that's a franchise that is going to take care of me. And I'm not saying that that washes away the indelicacy with which that DeRozan situation might have been handled, but I think ultimately, you know, the Raptors are standing here, NBA champions, Kawhi Leonard, finals MVP. I think they come out of this looking pretty good. It's going to be surreal for a long time saying those words like Toronto Raptors NBA champions after everything like I was just saying about how rare it is in the NBA for kind of new champions to emerge it it's it's unbelievable to think about where this franchise was before Masai Ujiri got here but just for the majority of their first 
two decades in existence. And you can look around the NBA. There's a lot of franchises in those very spots right now. And if you're a fan of one of those teams and you have that feeling of like, man, it's so far. First of all, being good even, you know, feels like such a long shot, let alone being sustainably good, let alone being good enough to actually compete for a championship. It's unlikely you will get there, but at the same time, like the Raptors really have become a model for, from a franchise perspective, rags to riches. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, there's, you can't get more rag-like than being named after a probably fictitious dinosaur popularized in a movie that happened to come out the year before the city was given a franchise. And you start, you know, by playing your first three years in a baseball stadium, you know, with the big purple dinosaur on your uniform. And it's considered, you know, a forgotten outpost for the longest time. And you have any number of sort of talking points and excuses for guys who don't want to play there or want to get out of there when they are playing there. You know, like the taxes, the cold weather, the metric system, the metric system. Shouts to Antonio Davis. I mean, we've heard it all. And it it took a lot, I think, for the image of this franchise and the image of Toronto as a basketball city to change. It didn't happen overnight. Masai Ujiri's had a a vision that I think was a huge part of that. And when he was hired as general manager in 2012, I think that was a huge turning point, obviously, for the franchise. And, And he came here... You know, not to make the playoffs. Like, he said it, basically, at his introductory press conference. Like, the goal is to win a championship, and he never budged from that position. That has always been his goal, and and he had that goal in mind when he traded DeMar DeRozan. Obviously, a very difficult decision for a general manager to make, and we can say it's a no-brainer trade and one that any GM would make 10 times out of 10, but when you're actually in that position and you have to deal with the human beings involved— and you have to pull the trigger on that trade, and you have to tell the fan base, look, we traded the guy that you've been rooting for for nine years and have watched grow up and have grown attached to, I mean, that's not easy. And, you know, he had to make a similar decision, trading Jonas Valanciunas away, a guy who had been here, you know, from the start of his career and had been a part of, you know, the franchise growing from what it was to what it became. Um, And, I mean, I don't think it needs to be said. He deserves an immense amount of credit for everything that he did to put all these pieces together and hardly a false step along the way, frankly. Uh, And, you know, we've talked about it before when we were kind of making the case for him as executive of the year for this year, but also as sort of a multi-year lifetime achievement award for the way that he, he put the pieces in place so long ago, right? Like this, this team came together as a result of years of prudent decision-making. And, you know, you look at something as simple as like drafting Jakob Pertl ninth overall and acquiring the ninth overall pick in a trade for Andrea Bargnani and using Pertl as part of a trade to acquire Kawhi Leonard and getting Danny Green as a throw-in in that trade. I mean, the stuff that he did along the margins that just wound up making such a difference. I mean, look at, go back and look at what the Phoenix Suns did in the 2016 draft. 
with the fourth overall pick. Make sure you have a plastic bag um, <laughs> to heave into, though, while you do it. The Phoenix Suns in that draft had the fourth overall pick, the eighth overall pick, and I want to say like the 34th pick. And they ended up with Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris, and Tyler Eulis. The Raptors in that draft had the ninth pick, the 27th pick, and that might have been it. But somehow in that draft, the Raptors ended up with Pirtle, who they wound up trading uh, to get, you could say, let's say Danny Green, <laughs> is who they got for Jakob Pirtle. And they end up with Pascal Siakam, and they end up with Fred Van Vliet. Undrafted Fred Van Vliet. Free agent. I mean, that, that takes a lot of luck, um, but it also takes a lot of diligent hard work and, and um, talent evaluation and player development, you know? I think the Raptors yeah. getting a D-League or now a G-League team was a big turning point for the franchise as well. And that was, that was one of Masai Ujiri's major, I don't want to say points of contention, but something that was very important to him when he came here. He wanted a G-League team. He wanted a state-of-the-art practice facility, so the Raptors no longer had to use the third floor of the arena as their practice facility. And Masai Ujiri got those things because ownership was committed to it, and they were committed to Masai Ujiri. Some of it is luck, but that goes to even in this series alone. Obviously, devastating injuries to Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson. And, and no one, no team plans for, you know, to get to a point thinking, all right, well, let's just get there and hope that they get it. Obviously not. But to be in the position to capitalize on that, you have to be in the position to capitalize on it. And... Go through the list. Like the Milwaukee Bucks weren't there, the Philadelphia. You know what I mean? At, at the end of the day, the Toronto Raptors were the team that was left standing in position to capitalize on those misfortunes of the Warriors because of the team Masai Ujiri assembled over the last half decade, because of the home runs he hit in the draft, because of some of the contracts he doled out and used in tra- like it all pieces together and it, you don't might not see it in a year. You might not see it in two years. Sometimes you don't even see it while that executive is still on the job, but it comes together over, you know, over the long haul. And that's exactly what happened here. Everything came together at the perfect time. And yeah, the Raptors got lucky because champions need to be lucky and they capitalized on it. I think that's a valuable lesson too, which is there are so many different ways to build a championship team, right? Like, I think tanking and a sort of multi-year tanking strategy has been in vogue for a little bit. And I think that's actually starting to change. And I also think that is a perfectly viable strategy. Like, the Philadelphia 76ers are a very good team right now that still, I think, has a really bright future. As much uncertainty as they're facing this offseason, that team came four bounces away basically from beating the Raptors and, and quite possibly being in the same position the Raptors are in and now. So I remain convinced of that too. Cause I don't know if you remember, but I think it was like going into the playoffs. I do I, remember. I was saying that I thought Raptors Sixers was like the real East final. Right. I was convinced of that. You were. And that might well have been the case. I mean, they might've beaten the bucks. They might not have. Uh, and the bucks are just another example of how you can build a championship team without bottoming out. They did bottom out, but that pick produced Jabari Parker, who they traded for nothing at all. So I just think like there are so many different ways to go about this. And for the Raptors, I, I really think that they've demonstrated the value of just staying good, right? And maybe it doesn't bear fruit this year. Maybe it won't bear fruit next year. Maybe it won't bear fruit two years from now. But you stay good 
you foster a strong culture, you develop young players, and you basically have some organizational equity that you build up over time. And you never know what might happen, right? I think the Rockets have also basically employed the same strategy where it's like, you know what? We don't want to tarnish our brand and we don't want to, you know, tank whatever goodwill we have around the league by um, just committing to a multi-year project of self-sabotage. We're going to try and be a good team. And any opportunity that we have to make the team better, we're going to take. And in the meantime, you know, we're going to treat our employees right. And we're going to, you know, like develop a reputation as, as a top flight organization. And again, like we've been saying, it doesn't happen overnight, but these things take patience and you have to trust that eventually you can get there. How wild is it to think about, like, there, obviously they're in any sport, you know, any championship team, you could point to things a year before, two years before, and be like, wow, imagine if someone had told... But for real, like, how wild is it to think... Like, think back to the first time we heard of Kawhi's quad... Tendinopathy? Tendinopathy. Great. Um, (laughs) Think back to, like, the first time we heard of it. The first time we heard of him having trouble with that leg. And he was going to miss training camp. Hobbling up the steps on that flight. On that flight, yeah, before a game against the Raptors, funny enough. But no, even before that, like I, when all it was, he was going to miss the preseason and he might miss a little bit. Of, like, think back to that moment. Like, imagine if someone had told you in that moment, what's going on right now with Kawhi's leg is, forget about it being the beginning of the end for him and the Spurs, is actually the beginning of a path towards him leading the Toronto Raptors to a championship. The improbability of that in the moment is surreal. It's unbelievable. And to think now, a year and a little bit, a year and a half later... We're sitting here recording this podcast after Kawhi Leonard led the Toronto Raptors to a championship. It's just like the symmetry, the things that have to connect that you would never be able to connect the dots between. Those things that need to come together for a team to win a championship are beyond reason sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is where luck comes into it. And, you know, to your point that you made earlier, sometimes you have to make your own luck. And if you do things the right way, you make good decisions. Ultimately, I think you have a better chance of luck being in your favor. But, I mean, let's go back even further. Let's go back to 2013 after Masai Ujiri trades Rudy Gay and is preparing for a full-scale teardown so that the Raptors can tank and draft Andrew Wiggins. And they are... Kyle Lowry has his bags packed for New York. And the Raptors are going to get Iman Shumpert, Meta World Peace, and a first-round pick. And James Dolan, simply because he was so afraid of getting fleeced by Masai Ujiri once again, because Masai had filched a first-round pick in exchange for Andrea Bargnani, decides to scupper the deal. Lowry remains a Raptor. And imagine thinking then, this guy is going to become a five-time All-Star an NBA champion, and a potential Hall of Famer. And a guy who's like the engine driving this incredible Raptors run that, that ends in a title. You just, you just never know how these things are going to go. And um, I think it's just like, like we were saying. I mean, you, all, all you can really do is put the architecture in place. You know, you have a strong foundation, and you trust the people that you hire, whether it's player development staff, coaching staff, scouts, and, and you believe in your organization. And ultimately, I think you 
you make decisions, you know, from a from a place of confidence when when that's the case. Completely agreed. Um, top to bottom, you know, it's impossible to do everything right, but basically top to bottom, the Raptors have done as much right under Masai Ujiri as one can possibly do. And it led them to the position they were in on Thursday night at Oracle. By the way, the Raptors became just the seventh team ever and the first since the 2001 Lakers to win three road finals games. They and went 4-0 and at Oracle this year. Yeah, and they were already just going into game six. They were already the first team in 24 years to win three yeah. road games at Oracle in a season. So I don't know where this puts them. But just every step along the way in the postseason, this team rose to the occasion and, and responded to adversity. You know, they lose game one against Orlando and all right. Fine, Orlando's not that good. They rip off five straight wins, really, leading into the second round. Then they go down 2-1 against Philly. Um, honestly, it might have been the most precarious moment of the, of the Raptors postseason, being down 2-1 and having to play game four in Philly. And Kawhi Leonard picks them up off the mat in that game. And then they go down 2-0 to the Bucks, And we've talked about it, that game three in Toronto where Man. Kyle Lowry fouls out. I believe Norman Powell fouled out, who was yeah. having a great game. Yeah. Fred Van Vliet, who was terrible up until that point, comes in and has to give the Raptors big minutes. Kawhi Leonard hobbling throughout the game. And they find a way to survive that game. And the Bucks don't win another game. The Raptors reel off five straight wins again, this time going into the NBA Finals. And they lose game two. And they lose home court advantage in the series. To the Golden State freaking Warriors, who even without Durant at the time, and Clay was hurt, it's still the Warriors and it's still Oracle in the last stand at Oakland. And they go to Oracle thinking, we just need to get one. Kawhi Leonard, pardon my French, but l not because I want to swear, because I'm literally quoting Kawhi Leonard, says, fuck that, let's get both. They get both. Fail to close it out in game five. Despite blowing, they had a six-point lead with three minutes left. Larry O'Brien chilling in the tunnel with Bill Larry Russell. Larry O'B. Yeah, Larry O'B. as Kawhi calls him. Chilling in the tunnel with Bill R. <laughs> and some championship swag. And they don't close it out. Again, adversity. Oh, how are they going to you know, rise to the occasion? How are they going to get through this mental hurdle? Do they have the, the mental fortitude to do it? And they close it out at Oracle. This kind of goes back to what I've been saying all playoffs about them having that look in their eyes, Kyle Lowry specifically, and just not like not allowing anyone to take this from them. And it, it really, from an NBA standpoint, I think the 2011 Mavs really were the last time I can remember a team being like this, mm -hmm. where just there were these various moments throughout the postseason where it was Dirk in that postseason and whoever, J.J. Barea at times, like there were moments throughout that postseason where it's like, man, I just think the Mavs might do it because it doesn't look like they're going to allow anyone to take this moment from them. And that's what these Raptors were. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also encourage you to check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL, and the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone tackles, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, please download the Score app, which is available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. I'm going to use that as a segue to talk about the Warriors, Perfect. because if you want to talk about a team that refuses to let an opponent take it from them, 
I mean, this was some, you can pry this title from my cold, dead hands shit from Golden State. And like Clay Thompson, man, this guy suffers a hamstring strain in game two that looks like it might sideline him for the rest of the series. I mean, he cannot even walk back into a defensive possession. He's standing at half court and cannot move, signaling to the bench to give a foul so he can get out of the game. Walks immediately into the tunnel. He's hobbling after the game. He's got an ice pack on it. He desperately wants to come back and play game three, and the Warriors basically force him to sit out. And he comes back like a house of fire for the rest of the series. I think he shot, what, like 58% from three in the finals? He was insane. And, and just contested looks, too, over and over. His <laughs> shot making in this series was unfathomable. And it, and it wasn't just that. I mean, he's guarding Kawhi on almost every single possession. And Kawhi can't push him off the spot. And I, like, how many defenders have you seen this season where Kawhi can't move them? Like, can't make any headway in the post, can't get around them off the dribble, can't get, get to where he wants to go. Like, Clay was locking him down. And like you said, at the other end, he's flying around off of screens. He needs like an inch of daylight to get his shot off. And he's just hitting absolutely everything. And in, in this game six, I really think the Warriors would have won this game if he hadn't gotten injured. Um, and I think as much as I think it's fantastic that, that Toronto got this championship, you know, it's a wonderful moment for basketball in Toronto, in Canada. You have this new team entering the fray. I think it sucks that we were robbed what could have been just a classic ending to that game six and potentially a classic game seven. But Clay Thompson in this game, 30 points on 17 shooting possessions, eight of 12 from the field, four of six from three, 10 of 10 from the free throw line in 32 minutes. And he, and he tore his ACL. I mean, I just, like, maybe the Warriors had just had, like, too much good fortune over the past five years, and eventually they just had to pay the piper, but what an absolutely brutal final series for them. Like, it's not often where you look at a team and you're like, man, this team just would have been better off getting swept. And if Durant had never come back and played, and if Clay had just sat out after that game too, and they just gotten swept, great. You know, um, but they went down like absolute champions. And I can't say enough good things after Clay gets injured. I mean, I, I know Steph didn't have a great game by his standards, but he's drawing double and triple teams on every single possession and he's making the right pass every time. Draymond Green, I thought was fantastic at both ends of the floor. His playmaking on- was unbelievable. 11 points, 19 rebounds, 13 assists, 3 steals, and 2 blocks. I know we had the 8 turnovers, and those turnovers hurt a lot of the time, but, I mean, you could have been picking up body parts off of the floor, and Draymond Green was not going to walk away until the buzzer sounded. The man who gave credence to the term 16-game player is the ultimate 16-game player. Yeah. Um, Sign that guy up for my (laughs) team every April. 100%. Like... I, I just I, I don't have the words to describe like the effort that they put in. Andre Iguodala, man, who looked he he looked kind of cooked at certain points in the series. I know he's dealing with an injury of his own, but like he he looked like a liability at points, right? Like he, afraid to shoot the ball or just reluctant to shoot the ball, uh, a step slow at the defensive end. I mean, in this game, after Clay went out, he is guarding Kawhi on every single possession. 
He goes three of six from three-point range. He's hitting mid-range jumpers. He's getting to the rim. He gets 22 points in this game, only the second time all year that he has crossed, crossed the 20-point threshold. Unbelievable game for him. Um, DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, cast aside and doubted so many times. Comes back from the Achilles injury. Comes back from, you know, the hamstring injury that he suffers after, or, or was it a quad injury? Yeah. Whatever. Like, I'd like he, to say hamstring, but quad. <laughs> quad it was. It was so many hamstring injuries. Um, <laughs> I don't even know. Was Iguodala's a hamstring injury? Or was that a calf? I thought it was an ankle. Uh, a lot of leg injuries yeah. for the Warriors, man. And, and, and Cousins, again, like, I think the Raptors found a lot of ways to attack him at the other end of the floor, but a heroic effort from him as well to just come off the bench and, and give the Warriors what they needed from him. Like, uh, <sighs> Steve Kerr called them effing giants for a reason. Yeah. You know? Um, sometimes it, it can sound like... Hyperbole? Yeah, like typical coach speak and hyperbole to gas their own players up. But sometimes it really does ring true. And Steve Kerr calling this team effing giants in the wake of Kevin Durant's first uh, injury this spring rang true about this team. Clay Thompson, by the way, like when you think of tough players, a lot of times you kind of think of a lot of times big men, defense first players that don't score a lot. Clay Thompson is as tough as they come. People have already forgotten. This guy played through a high ankle sprain in last year's finals, played through a hamstring injury in these finals, literally blew his knee out, made it halfway to the tunnel, came back to sink both his free throws in the event so that in the event, he could return. He could return because if he had not taken the free throws, he wouldn't have been able to come back. Apparently told Steve Kerr he just needed a few minutes to walk it off and he'd be back with a blown out ACL. All the while, as you mentioned, you know, to add to the incredible shot making in this series, his defense on Kawhi. You mentioned how hard it is to stay in front of Kawhi and body him up. Ask Kevon Looney about that. In all seriousness, Kevon Looney literally broke his chest. Yeah. Shout to Kevon Looney, by the way, for playing, playing 27 minutes in this game. Cortisoned the hell up, okay? Making it through this series, making it through this game. Kevon Looney broke something in the chest area. I, like, we can't get into specifics right now. But a rib, whatever it was. A costal cartilage fracture. Ridiculous. You know we got that? Trying to stop a Kawhi Leonard drive. He bounced off of him like a friggin' ping pong ball. And Clay Thompson, bum leg and all, is there bodying that same Kawhi Leonard up. Like Clay Thompson, as finesse as his offensive game appears, is as tough as they come in this league. Yeah, I mean, coming out to shoot those two free throws, I, I hope that this can sort of replace the, the, the Kobe Bryant meme of him coming and shooting those two free throws on his torn Achilles. Um, Listen, I'm not I a Kobe <laughs> truther, but that was still a surreal moment. In it absolutely was, but I think, you know, we now have a, a more contemporary example of, of just, I, uh, you know, a player, like, putting it all out there and, and exhibiting extraordinary side. toughness. I really thought, like, when Clay came back out of that tunnel, I'm like, oh, he's, he's coming back and he's going to finish the game. If there was a player in the league where I actually saw that happen to his knee, and they showed the replay an inordinate number of times, like, an excessive number of times. They showed the replay of him blowing out his knee, and you could see it, you're like, that's a devastating knee injury. And I saw him coming out of that tunnel, and I was like, he's going to finish the game. He's going to finish the game, and he's going to hit three more threes, and somehow the Warriors are going to win. Like, that's just, that's the kind of player he is. And, I mean, I, 
I guess, you know, we kind of sort of have to take this conversation in a different direction now because let's think about the offseason the Warriors are facing right now. You have Kevin Durant, who's looking at a year-long recovery. You have Klay Thompson now, who's honestly, like, what's a torn ACL? I mean, that's close to a year as well, right? Are they, like, can they max out both of these guys? I'm sure they would like to, but one way or another... They're looking at a season without either of them next year. And I just, like, have we ever seen a situation like this? I mean, two absolute superstars. Pending free agents. Unrestricted free agents with, like, catastrophic injuries. Year-long recoveries from these injuries. I can't remember anything like this. And, I mean... Clay has talked all season long. Like he, he hasn't really given any credence to free agency talk. He's basically said, like, you know, if the Warriors come correct, I'm re-signing. I want to be here for life. And nobody even really talked about Clay as a free agent target for any other teams because everyone just assumed that he was going to be back in Golden State. I don't necessarily think this is going to cast that into doubt at all. I mean, are they still going to give him the max? Like, I. <sighs> I don't, like the Warriors, I don't know if they're really the type of organization to sort of get cute and try and negotiate when a player is injured and doesn't have any leverage. That just seemed like... Especially when it's a player who's given as much to the franchise as yeah. Clay Thompson has. So I sort of just expect they'll give him the max regardless, but I mean, that said, and I hate that this is sort of just like the cynical part of the business, but we have to talk about it. Like, you're going to be paying $40 million maybe, and tack onto that, you know, another, if Durant decides that he wants to stick around or if he wants to opt in, more than $70 million maybe to two guys who aren't going to be able to play for you next year. I mean, that's kind of insane. It is insane. And, and that's the thing, right? It's so much easier said than done to say, well, you just, you got to reward these guys. You can't be the organization that doesn't pay them when they're injured. And I, and I think the Warriors will. And if Durant wants to come back, I don't think they're going to say no to him. Yeah. Um, but $70 million in the first year of these two guys' contracts, when you know they're going to combine, quite possibly, for zero games. Man, that is a tough pill to swallow. Like, you got to remember, you got to try to fill the rest of your team out. It's yeah. a salary cap world. And you're doing that in a space where, and again, there's, there's insurance um, and, like, cap protections for teams who suffer these kinds of injuries, but not when the injury occurred before you signed them. So there will be no such cap assurances and protections for the Warriors. Like they, they will have a hard time building a. I mean, look, you're going to be competitive with Steph and Draymond, but I don't know how competitive you'll be. Right. I don't know. I, so I'd have to look at this in the CBA. But like, can they apply for a hardship exception to get an extra roster spot? That's possible. Yeah. Um, but if they sign them, no. I mean, like, yeah. I, I don't know. Um. But in any case, like, so they have those guys. I mean, they have Looney, who's a free agent. You know, they have Cousins, who's a free agent. Like, suddenly, the Warriors are in this uber precarious spot, and the Western Conference is wide open. Um, I mean, anybody could win that conference next year. Anybody. The Nuggets, the Rockets, the Lakers. The Jazz, man. The Jazz, the Blazers. Um, I mean... You know, if there was ever a year for one of those sort of middle of the pack Western Conference playoff teams to try and get in the mix, make a push for Anthony Davis, 
like now would be the time you want to make a sort of Kawhi like all in move where where you trade the sort of certainty of having a homegrown star for one year of a super duper star that could put you over the top. I mean, again, I hate to say it because it's just like seems so cynical and like there are human beings whose livelihoods are at stake right now. And I feel just utterly gutted for Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant right now. Like it's anybody's for the taking anybody. If if Kawhi Leonard resigns, I'm going to call it now. Toronto versus LeBronto in the next finals. <laughs> oh man, it is writ. Um, yeah, I mean, I, we'll have to see, and, and that is what is so interesting because the Lakers appear to be the front runner for Anthony Davis right now because I think, in large part, Anthony Davis has has stated his preference to go to LA, and seems to be telling basically any other team that it's only going to be a one year rental. But like, let's say you're Denver. I mean, you could put together a better trade package than the Lakers. Would you not want to do that, even if there's no guarantee, even if you do think it's only for one year? After seeing the Raptors win a championship with Kawhi Leonard, and after seeing Paul George re-sign in Oklahoma City, and looking at the Western Conference and knowing that if you have Nikola Jokic and Anthony Davis in your front court, you are probably going to be the favorite to come out of the West. Maybe Damian Lillard and Anthony Davis. (laughs) Right. I mean, you got to think long and hard about whether... The, the, the long-term outlook of a team that might cap out as like a Western Conference finalist is worth holding on to for what might be one year of ultimate glory. Yeah, and I've been saying basically since the end of the regular season and the way LeBron was kind of embarrassed by the way this season went that I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but I'm convinced he will be out to take names next season. I'm serious, man. Like I think, I don't know how many years LeBron has left at an elite level, but I think for at least one year he will summon whatever needs to be summoned inside of him. And he is going to take names and remember, you know, the people that doubted him after one off year and one injury plagued year. And if he comes back playing at like an MVP level and they trade for Anthony Davis in a Western conference where the Warriors not possibly will be, but clearly will be depleted. Tell me that's not a potential finals. You know what I mean? Like, no, absolutely. I know I, there's there's other contenders there for sure. I agree with you. Denver, like I said, Portland, if they can find a way to combine um, Dame and Anthony Davis and have to part with CJ, sorry. Yeah. I mean, are the Rockets thinking twice maybe about selling off <laughs> their parts but right here's now? Here's the thing. Unless you're giving up James Harden, what are you giving up that... No, no, no. I, I more just mean like... Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. They should like, not... They seem like they were ready to, to strip that thing for not parts. Not anymore. Um but I think they got to be looking at this and thinking that they're in a pretty good spot. Sure. Um, but still, with all due respect to all those teams, I still think if you give LeBron James, um, and a LeBron James that's probably more motivated than he has been in a few years, a player like Anthony Davis, in a depleted Western Conference, yeah. barring health issues, that team's going to the finals. Yeah, I mean, I would love to say that Steph Curry and Draymond Green, surrounded by any half-decent supporting cast, could win the conference as well. I just, we're talking about, you know, what kind of financial wiggle room they're going to have after we presume signing at least one of Clay or KD, and maybe both. It's, it's tough to envision how they're going to fill out that roster. Yeah. Um, Steph, Draymond, no depth. And then you also have to remember that you need Steph and Draymond to almost stay completely healthy yeah. 
over the course of a season after going to five straight finals. Like it's just not the math's just not adding up for them. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, I I mean, like Livingston seems like he's going to retire. Iguodala maybe has one or two seasons left, um, and it's stupid to harp on this now, just because it took a, an extraordinary confluence of circumstances for them to find themselves in this position. But it's unfortunate that they haven't really been able to find a whole lot in the draft, the back end of the first round. But even so, like. You know, you look at a team like the Raptors that found OG Ananobi late in the draft and Pascal Siakam late in the draft and Fred Van Vliet as an undrafted guy. And the Warriors found Kevon Looney, but not a whole lot else. Um, and that's how they find themselves relying on guys like Livingston and Jonas Jarebko and Alfonso McKinney in the finals. So and McKinney got picked apart in game six. Like it was, and, it, and it was not fair to him. No, you know? that's the thing. Like, I was about to say, I don't, you know we shouldn't feel bad for players when it's just like a straight up not playing well thing, but I kind of felt bad watching Alfonso McKinney in game six of the NBA finals. Cause man, did that look like a player who did not belong on that stage? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what comes next for the Warriors. I mean, just a tough off season ahead. And I think first and foremost, um, just a tough moment right now for, for Clay Thompson. And all you can really say about him is he, he went out like a champion. Uh, and I think that is that's all we really need to say right now. He, he went out like a champion, and I'm sure he's going to bounce back and uh, be every bit the champion that he's been for the last few years because he's proven time and again he's extraordinarily durable, extraordinarily tough. Uh, his body is made of rubber, and uh, if anybody can bounce back from, from an injury like this and come back just as strong, if not stronger, it's him. Yep. Clay and the Warriors are and Giants. The Raptors are worthy giant slayers. Toronto Raptors, man. NBA champions. I, I can honestly say I never thought that I would see the day. Um, I have <laughs> lived in Toronto basically my entire life. It's been 24 mostly agonizing years. But uh, here they are, the top of the mountain. And, and you know, tw- they're going to they're gonna get to enjoy it for, 20, for a long time. 24 agonizing years for just the Raptors. Um, if you're a sports fan in this city, in Toronto, it goes so much deeper than that. Like, if you're, like myself, someone that grew up as both a basketball and hockey fan, I was never the type that was like, I'm one or the other. We don't need to go into the amount of Leafs heartbreak in this city. The Jays won two World Series in the early 90s, in 92 and 93. But man, it's been tough sledding since then. And just, you want to talk about heartbreak. The way... What looked like a team of destiny at the time fell short in 2015. Toronto has seen some heartbreak, man. Gone through some torture as a collective sports fan base in the last quarter century. And and half century, if you want to talk about the Leafs. And for the Raptors to be the team to pick them up out of that, again, given the way this franchise was perceived for the first 20 years of its existence, is just absolutely wild and i'll say this just to to kind of wrap this up they beat a depleted warriors team i think it's a shame that it sort of came down to that and that the warriors couldn't be whole at the end of the day the raptors earned every bit of this and i mean they went through a gauntlet in the eastern conference to even make it to the finals in the first place i mean that was a really really good sixers team 
an incredible Bucks team. And like you said before, I, like they found themselves with their backs up against the wall a few times throughout this playoff run. I mean, they lose game one against the Magic. They're down 2-1 against Philly. They're down 2-0 against Milwaukee. And in both of those last two series, I mean, they were in very real danger of losing the third game. And they managed to pull through. And, and they did it with an extraordinary amount of talent and grit and belief and calm and togetherness and uh ultimately they got it they got it done as a team right like we can talk all we want about the heroism of Kawhi Leonard and how he turned this franchise around but everybody contributed everybody had a moment at some point in time like everybody was needed Marc Gasol was needed Fred Van Vliet was needed. Kyle Lowry was needed. Pascal Siakam was needed. Like everybody. Norman Powell was needed <laughs> for stretches of this postseason because of OG Ananobi being sidelined for the entire playoffs due to his appendix bursting the day before the playoffs started. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, Norman Powell looked unplayable in the Sixers series. He looked unplayable for parts of the Warriors series, including in game six. But he came through in that Buck series. I mean, that's. And I think if you look back at past champions, that's sort of always how it goes, right? Like you need to have guys who can come through when you need them to and who are going to have moments like that. And, um, and the Raptors got that. They got contributions up and down the roster at various points throughout the run. And um, they're a deserving champion. That's all I can say. Enough said. <laughs> So with that, we will leave you. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back uh, sometime in the coming days to talk about the NBA draft, which incredibly is happening uh, less than a week today. Uh, this league does not stop. Uh, it, it keeps on moving, and I'm sure we will have movement on the Anthony Davis trade front. Um, we'll have free agency. Uh, for now, uh, the, rec- <laughs> the NBA season is over. Yeah. Please do not get traded this weekend, Anthony Davis. Yeah. Just give us 48 hours to catch up it on some sleep. Nice. It would be nice. That would be nice. That's but, all I ask. Um, One weekend to catch up on some sleep. Silly season is coming. Um, but for now, we're going to sign off. For Joseph Cacharo, I'm Joe Wolfon. The Raptors are NBA champions. Pound the rock.